BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Okay, so I could call him the chief health genie, a gangsta Buddha, a master hugger, a dedicated biz dad, a thought leader, a speaker, and the list goes on. I met Tuan Nguyen while I was working on CTV Morning Live as he was a regular contributor for our parenting panel. In my limited experience with him, I knew that he was a dedicated dad helping other dads manage their entrepreneurial life with fatherhood and balancing all of it together. Little did I know that Tuan's background was in business and health, in charity, and in making millions of dollars. Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. This is cool for me, Tuan. We're back in we're back in a setting where we yeah, get to chat. This is like kicking it back old school here, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but guess what? We have time yeah. today. We have lots and <laughs> lots of time. Um, and it's funny because you know I I wrap that intro with kind of like this making millions. And I know for you, that's almost like the least of the things you want. That's mentioned. correct. Yeah, it's correct. It's kind of like that was just a byproduct of being committed to, I guess, a mission. If you don't want me saying that, right? Just. I just want to help people and the challenge was challenging myself to do better and be more efficient and how can I do more with the same amount of time, leveraging and building relationships and I would have never thought I'd I'd succeed in creating that much of a dollar impact, truthfully. Yeah, there's a massive dollar impact to the work that you have done uh, for a number of different businesses and charities, but it's about making an impact and allowing people to live their lives while making an impact. Is yeah. that fair to say? Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, we, I could dive into it a little bit. I could just start right away if you want. You and- can start right <laughs> away, but I want people to kind of get just how cool and how interesting you're really, your story and your background is because you really shouldn't even be alive. Like you were supposed to be dead in 1975 on a boat coming from Vietnam. <laughs> Sounds about is, right. Is that a fair place to start? Like yeah, that was yeah. the start for you. Yeah. So, I mean, that will definitely lead right into uh, the giving part. And uh, so, yeah, 975, born uh, April 9th, just like 20 days before what I call the changing of the guards uh, in Vietnam, uh, difference of government, right? And so just after several days uh, in the water, my mom thought she was carrying a dead infant. I stopped moving. Your mom. So your mom was on a boat? Yeah, so we fled uh, on April 29th by boat. We were one of, I guess, I don't know the exact numbers, to be honest. Okay, sorry, that makes you, you're 20 days old? 20 days okay. old. So I'm like a nugget, basically. And, uh, you know, I obviously I'm being told the story over and over by my family and all different aunts and uncles. And what was just so interesting was to just hear everyone's recount of that story, the first 20 days was, was very similar, right? After that, it's like a little bit different from, from uncle to aunt. But just to hear that my mom held on to me, even though I, I seemed lifeless and just the grace of God or the universe, not even exactly sure, but a used carrier popped by and picked us up at the right time and uh, shocked me back to life. Uh, I know they injected something in the main vein of my head. That's what I was told. And they all said the same thing. And then in Hawaii, when I was in the ICU unit, again, I flatlined and they shocked me back to life. And I've been alive ever since. 
Uh, so, so you only been, needed to be brought back to life twice. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. it. I'm so know. sorry to disappoint everyone. It was, it was just twice. Yo, I got seven got more to go. <laughs> <laughs> and the strange thing is I was born in the year of the cat, which is similar to the year of the hare in the Chinese calendar, but in the Vietnamese calendar, it's the year of the cat. So it's kind of weird that in North oh, America... Oh, you have nine lives. Yeah, yeah. In North America, say cats have nine lives. Like, we don't say that in Vietnam, but it's just funny that, you know, we're in North America and there's that saying. I'm like, oh, I guess I've taken up two of the nine and... I got seven more to go, so we'll see. <laughs> let, let, let's just we'll we'll try to keep this PG and, yeah, and, and, yeah, not, yeah. and not put you in any danger right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But your upbringing, and then you know, coming here as refugees or or kind of starting a new life for your parents, it was a real introduction to hard work, kind of yeah, yeah. finding your place. Exactly. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I can only speak as my myself as an immigrant family, but I think for me, I felt I was given a purpose. Some people are looking for a purpose, and at least the first, let's say, 30-something years of my life, I felt the purpose was, was just given to me at birth. And because we came here, well, we actually went to San Francisco because of coming from Hawaii, and we had a couple uncles who lived in Quebec City before 1975, so they sponsored us over to Canada very quickly. And so coming to Canada, obviously, no one spoke English, right? And uh, no one knew anyone, really, right? And so the first major source of gratitude was my parents continually rem reminded me about uh, what this country has done for us. Like, they literally say Canada is incredible, and we owe so much to this country. And then specifically, certain charities helped us as well, which is why I've contributed to these very same charities till this day, right? And so just... Growing up and being reminded of who, which people and organizations have helped us and government, right? I, I've always had the idea of giving back. My mom and dad, we grew up very poor, social aid my entire life, like welfare, right? And even though we had nothing to give financially, my mom would still make like a bowl of Vietnamese noodle soup, pho if you, or pho if you guys you know are into that stuff. But she would bring it to the landlord and she would say, you know, we don't have a lot of money, but people always appreciate food. Like right from the beginning, she's always given me this type of, you know, life lesson. So fast forward a little bit, we could hop in between if we want to, but to, you know, the millions and all that, it was never about the millions. It was just always finding a way to give back. And then when I met someone who's very near to us and um, the late Max Keeping, oh my goodness, I'm going to break down talking about him. But we met uh, because I had a desire to raise money for uh, the hospital because the hospital also saved my life, right? But he saw something in me that I didn't see, you know, and he pushed me to just rise above what I thought was possible. And I remember telling Max, I'm going to raise a million dollars by 30, and I crushed it by 25. And it wasn't because Tuan is a genius. It's because Max put around me the mentors like Dave Reddy, who's an incredible man, to help me with my journey of just wanting to give back. But how do you get yourself into the presence of these type of people and business leaders and thought leaders that early on so that by the time you are 25, you're capable of raising a million dollars, which most people can't do in a lifetime. Right. So, I mean, that's that, that's a question I've been asked a few times, not often, actually, funny enough, but I just went to the hospital at Chio and that's when I met Dave Reddy. I didn't know who the guy was, right? And I said, I have this idea of fashion show, fundraiser, lip sync media competition, and uh, I wanted for 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 Gio. And then he said, oh, you got to introduce this guy, Max Keeping. He's a good friend of mine. And I remember he, he dialed Max's phone number from, you know, the, the speaker phone at Chio. And I hear Max's voice. I have no idea who this guy is because I'm from Montreal. That's where I grew up. 
And I had just moved to Ottawa a year or so. No TV, no nothing. Don't watch the news either, right? At that time, at least I'm just partying. And uh, so then I remember we met at the Westin. And I remember I just, they said, oh, Max Keeping is the guy with the rat's tail. And I looked around to find this guy with this man with tail. the rat's tail. You know, you know, we're in the 80s and 90s yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> we see that. But yeah, and that's how I met him. And I, I pitched him my idea. I gave him a date. I remember he says, Tuan, you know, that date's at the same time as uh, Marlon Copeland, uh, some event she had. Why should I choose you? And I gave my reason. You know, I said, well, I would love you to support the future of our community, which is the students. You know, these guys are already there already, the Marlins events. Like, let's let's get these guys while they're young, right? And make sure they they make proper and responsible decisions. Boom. Max came in and he loved it. And then he just opened his network to me. It's interesting because you talk about these are the future philanthropists, right? These yes. students right now who are working, you know, through university and trying to come up with these ideas. So what exactly was the concept then? That launched this. So the I like to talk with the problem first. So okay. the problem I noticed after being in business school was that I went to all these wine and cheeses people would organize, and it's like I don't know one professional for every thirty students. You can't even get like your question in just to sound smart, right? And so you're like, all right, I can't ask my one smart question. I planned the whole three weeks lead up to wine and cheese, so I was pretty like pissed off the fact I couldn't talk to anyone and, and have a potential of getting a job. The other thing was, it was always one speaker up on stage and they would speak and I just thought, this just could be sexier. Like, this is just, like, it's cool and all that to have these people speaking, but, you know, we're, we're younger. We think we need things to be a little bit more fun. And then I thought, what did I love in life? And I love music, dance, fashion. I love business. I love dinner. I love get-togethers. And I love giving students a fair chance to network. And so I pitched the idea of having a dance-inspired Broadway-style fashion show. And I knew that I needed media coverage. And so I pitched the idea, which Dave kind of had the idea, Dave Reddy. And he says, let's get uh, the media companies to form a, uh, a team to do a lip sync competition. And so if they're in the competition, they'll send a team to cover the story. So we're like, yo, that's a pretty good idea. Right, but the 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 premise it's behind a great it. Great way to get media. In. Yeah, like, yeah, Let yeah, me yeah, tell yeah, you yeah. how many times you come and do this, and then the cameras will follow. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So the first problem was making business events for students exciting. Right, that's one. The other one was I realized that there were so many amazing skills that we've learned in school. That I didn't I didn't want us to wait till we graduated to use them. So I said, how can we leverage business skills and all our concepts that we had? that we came up in group meetings trying to solve these cases that we never used or pitched in our cases in our in our reports. So how can we use that and apply in real life situations like raising money for charity? If flipping companies won't hire us for our ideas, screw it. We'll start our own and we're going to raise money for charity instead. And so it's also an organization that allows students to leverage business skills and sexy ideas and run with it to see if we can make a difference for our community. And that formed what we call CASCO, which stands for the Commerce and Administration Student Charity Organization. Which people will recognize now. Yeah, I think a lot of people in Ottawa recognize CASCO. And CASCO alumni have gone on to do some crazy cool stuff. You know, one guy, I think we've all heard of We Day. Uh, so Russ McLeod is one of the brainchilds of We Day. Instead of taking a super job in Toronto, Bay Street, he decided to take a job with Free the Children with Craig. He's like employee number, I don't know, I'm going to guess four or five or something like that, right? So just to know that students who come out of Casco choose really 
incredible opportunities to make a difference. Or if they join a bank or wherever they end up working, it's known and still follows them to this day that they do incredible stuff for the community and attribute the work with Casco as one of their inspirations that they can give back at any minute, any time. Is that probably one of the things you're most proud of? Because there's a long list of things that you have accomplished since then. Yeah, but yeah. But the impact of what that was in creating I'll have, that. I'll have to say yes, because it's opened every single door for me, right? And and Casco wouldn't be alive without Dave Reddy and Max Keeping. So like, if I take a step back, they're the ones who really propelled me to the into the world. Um, but uh, the actual project itself, the idea is what opened every door for me. You know, you were able to carry on the story pretty quickly because you wanted to get to the point. But I know that it got emotional for you just mentioning Max's name. And so the mentorship aspect of the impact that an individual can have on someone's life is something that you value or that you understand and are looking to be able to implement because it had such a deep impact on you. Totally. Absolutely. I would say the one thing that I learned most about Max's mentorship is being non-judgmental. That is what was what really I felt was his superpower. I mean, he has all these connections. He's all this stuff that everyone can see on the outside. But what was powerful about him was he just accepted you for who you are. And uh, as I became very close to him, I, I have always known that it was always his desire to be accepted for who he was, right? And so that was the big mentorship for me, which I moved to carry forward. Like last night, I took out uh, a mentee of mine and uh, two of them, two, two mentees. And they said, wow, you talked to us like we're just best friends and you're like twice our age. And I, I talked about Max. I said, well, I was treated like a friend by someone twice my age. And I was amazed by how this person treated me like a normal human being as an equal. And to, even I remember when I was turning 30, he said, I learned so much from you. And I, you know, I, I would just never forget how often he would tell me how much he's learned from me since I was 19, right? So I, I reflect that and I, I get to pay it forward now as someone who has a bit of influence and a bit of experience that I can lend towards, whether it be younger generation or anyone of our sturdy age, it's just about that non-judgmental space. Uh, I'm really, I'm not surprised, but it's interesting how that non-judgmental vocabulary came into this conversation this early because I know that we're going to get to these these dad groups, these fatherpreneurs, <laughs> yeah. uh, that you have created this really safe space for them to be able to express and do and talk about things in a very non-judgmental way. Yes, absolutely. Like you want me to get into a bit of that or you, you lead because that's kind of like the most recent. I know. And we could kind of go a little bit back to, to, to kind of Show the audience how I've I, gone here. I want to do that, but I want to let the the listeners know that that it's come like right, that so. these are stories that are coming, and especially you know I know that I have a lot of female listeners to this, uh, you know, and then they're always looking for the, the health tips and better <laughs> ways to improve life and to take you know tips and research and from everyone that comes in. But I think this is going to be one where they're going to say, okay, to their husbands or their partners, yeah, <laughs> you've got to listen to this one especially as we're all trying to juggle the same issues every day. Totally. I mean, I get often uh, wives coming up to me saying, you got to talk to my husband or my brother and stuff like that, right? 
And they said, well, you could lead a, what's that expression, horse to the, the water, but you just can't force them to drink the water, right? Or whatever that expression is. So I'm like, let, let's just let the universe lead them to me on their own. And uh, if they struggle, then they'll reach out. So to start. And there are, and there, are there have been thousands upon thousands that have been flocking to your well. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Looking for <laughs> yeah. this. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to take you back. Okay. Okay. You do. Uh, the Costco, you've got these events, you start with, let's go like quickly through to understand okay. your business ventures because Ottawa Kiosk yes. became one of them. Yes. So Ottawa Kiosk is a brainchild of a buddy named Craig Dornboss. It was a university project. And then years later, Stephen Lau, who's like a buddy of mine as well. So it's three of us, myself, Stephen Lau and Craig. Uh, Stephen and I use Ottawa Kiosk and uh, we saw the potential of what that could be. So then we touched base with Craig and we said, you know, this can go across the country. This could be big. And, and explain what it is. And so, yeah, so to step back what Ottawa Kiosk is, it's basically Yellow Pages Online, online directory. And, uh, you know, Craig had a beautiful uh, idea, which was it's so expensive to advertise on mainstream media that uh, with the internet coming up in 1996, which is when it started, uh, we should find a way to give small businesses a chance to be seen. Right. And so that resonated with Stephen and I. And so we all joined hands. We took that to 26 cities over a course of uh, nine and a half years. And then we opened different verticals, autoliving.ca, which a lot of people in Ottawa know, um, which only stayed in three cities. Uh, then we did uh, autocatch.com, which is like an auto trader competitor, which we also sold. Uh, and that was in about 100 cities. And then uh, my passion was health. So I took my health portal to nine cities. And so my main source was from, uh, from health. My source of accomplishment and, and business came from Health Genie, uh, which is an online directory for all health services, whether you're conventional medicine or alternative. And I wanted people all over the, at least the country, eventually it was potentially the world, uh, to access if they have a back problem to get all forms of healing possible to them, not just going to see a doctor, which I don't have no, nothing against doctors, mm -hmm. but I really believe in preventative medicine, preventative care, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't think back in those days there was enough information to lead people to that, right? So so it was almost like a forward thinking before alternative health yeah, was yeah. really making a mark. Yes, exactly. Is that exactly. fair to say? That's very fair to say. And, uh, and I was, you know, my life was not saved just by medicine. It was saved by acupuncture and herbal medicine and all this stuff. And so, you know, I just I just believe in it so much because I've experienced it, right? So I wanted people to at least learn about it and, and try it because I didn't know everything that was mm -hmm. out there, right? You, you called yourself the chief genie. Chief genie. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, when, we, when, we, when we sold uh, the directory portion, uh, Hell Genie kept itself, which so the audience can know what I do today with Health Genie is I do business advisory consulting services for health organizations, primarily dental groups. And so I work with them to do like communications training, you know, web marketing, things like that. So it's it's not as sexy and, and large as the auto kiosk days. But uh, as you hear, as you guys will hear who's listening in a little bit, I, I purposely built the business backwards from how much time I want to be with my family. And, and this business allows me to work uh, you know, just the right amount of hours, make just the right yeah. amount of income. Wait yeah. till you hear just how many hours <laughs> Tuan is working and <laughs> yeah. the income that comes in from it. Uh, and to be able to realize that you can slowly start to figure out how to balance it all because I find the numbers are fascinating. <laughs> 
it wasn't always this, like you're smiling and you're like, I did this and we did this and we had this business. Like this is a true entrepreneurial mindset because most people would hit the panic button at one business, right? Mm -hmm. And to listen to all these business ventures. But it wasn't as though through all of this, you had, you know, this balance of love and health and marriage and children, like yeah, let's get it, real here, right? Like, let's like, get real about right, had, shall we? <laughs> do you mind if we go there? Because I mean, I know that you were finding all of this success, but it we you weren't the balanced individual that you are now. You were dealing with the everyday issues that most people deal with, and a lot of things crumbled. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, time to get real, which is why I, I didn't want to focus too much about the business side and what. Most people, and what I've learned from many entrepreneurs, if not potentially all entrepreneurs, is the struggle we deal with on the inside and how we hide what I call hide behind the hustle. And so many people start with the right uh, mindset. You know, I want to do well for my family and I, I just want to do well and make my mom and dad proud of me, right, for everything they've done. But because of that same dialogue, because of giving, being given the purpose since I was a child, the pressure that I put on myself, and then growing up, being bullied and not being accepted and meaning someone like Max Keeping who accepts me for who I am and doesn't care and all this stuff, right? Uh, but that struggle lasted with me, you know, right into my divorce, right? And that's when I realized that for my entire duration of my entrepreneurial years, I was just trying to build and build so I could hide behind something. And I hid behind a website. I hid my pain of my insecurities of feeling that, I'm an immigrant. I'm a nobody at the end of the day, and, and I'm going to make a lot of money, and people are going to accept me. Uh, I mean, the good thing is I didn't go into gangs and drugs to feel accepted. I luckily fell into the world of volunteerism to feel accepted, to feel like I have friends, and to feel like I could be accepted. And so uh, it became an addiction. It became an addiction for me to get bigger, to be more accepted by bigger people. And the more important people accepted me, the better I can hide behind that and create an image uh, that I was not and that I was super happy. Like my business is like all I needed. Yeah. I'm giving all this money to charity. I'm employing all these people. Uh, you know, I'm the bomb here. Like I'm the shit that everyone wants to be like, but deep inside, I just, I realized I, I was just still trying to please other people and never really sticking to who I, I really thought it was. In fact, I didn't know who I was anymore. And yeah. How, how old are you? Like you're going through this, like how old are you at this point? Uh, I mean, so I went through my divorce at 37, so I reflected basically my entire life. So what I've been describing now is essentially I've been doing this my entire life, just different forms of it. So for example, when I was a kid, I just, I, I, I killed it in school. So I was like, yo, Twins, I got to go help cheat on exams. I'm like, yeah, man, I'll help you pass. So, you, you know, you can crush it, pass it. You'd be my friend, all right? You know, like this is like me thinking. This is your like, mindset. This is the subconscious mindset thinking probably, right? And it's only only at 37 that when I look back and I rose so fast and so quickly and I supported initiatives and people, not like they're terrible or terrible causes. It's just it wasn't that important to me, right? It's because it wasn't super relevant. For example, lung cancer. I mean, I, I don't suffer from it. I don't any of them suffer from it, but there were important people who supported it. I thought, you know what, if I get into this association or support this fundraiser, I get to build relationship with these people. And it just started feeling more and more fake and people saw right through it. And uh, at my biggest depression, at, which was at 37, uh, you know, I lost a lot of friends and I hated them. I blamed them all. And, and it took forever for me to accept 
the consequences of my own decisions, tend to own my shit, as we always say in my little men's group. And uh, to say, listen, man, like, just stop blaming and just own your shit and just do something about it. But what was the moment? Like, is there a moment to realize, wait a second, I've been putting the blame on everyone else and I'm the one that's actually that's been covering up this like like you said like this addiction right like you were you were seeking approval and appeal and being in with the in can i say like the yeah. the in crowd and yet it was destroying all of your energy it was sucking everything out of you and so i would say whether it be a moment or a person it's definitely my son and uh i'm i'm pretty sure parents here can relate to this but when you have a newborn your first time parent you know, hearing your child cry in the middle of the night is like a sign that they're alive, right? Like, yes, he's crying. That's so good. I'll just go check if he's okay, but dude's alive. Yay, right? But then one night, you know, I'm depressed and, you know, I'm just like just drowning my own sorrow. And he didn't cry at night. And I remember waking up thinking, oh, my goodness, what what happened, right? I was so scared because I didn't hear him cry once. So I rushed across the room thinking something happened to him like every first-time parent has expressed they've done. And what is he doing? He's sitting there smiling, just playing with his teddy bear or whatever was in his crib. And I was like, wow, I actually thought I lost you. And it was like the worst feeling, right? Oh, my goodness. Love my little man so much. And um, so um, uh, so then I, I picked up and I said, I'm never going to give up on you ever again, right? So And which meant... I couldn't give up on myself, right? And um, so then uh, it was the moment where I said, I, if I teach you what I know now as a man, I teach you to fuck up the way I did. So I need to start finding men who I could look up to and learn from them, which is the birth of my men's movement, right? And so for the listeners, I, I now run a community called Dude Buddha, and it's just a community of business fathers who – strive to succeed but never had the tools or resources to be connected with self and family and their and the people that matter to them so we can't get there if we don't start sharing the tools that have worked with us and sharing our epic failures together and i provide a safe space for them to do that and then i also provide a membership site where it's super anonymous and so they even i don't know what they are but they're in there and it's unfiltered and it gives them a space to just share and it's helped me so much to become a stronger, better, more secure man. And I'm also learning what I need to learn to teach my son about how at least not to repeat some of the mistakes I've made growing up. When you have this ability either to speak frankly as you or to speak honestly as anonymous, do you find that everyone shares that there's a similar trait that runs through it all? And, or are, are people really coming from such varying backgrounds and dealing with such varying obstacles in their own paths? This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They are a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the Extension Marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. Well, I think 
it does come down to a few key pillars. You know, at the end of the day, it's you know, it, it's some kind of a fear of either not being accepted, a fear of failing, uh, which again means you're not being accepted, right? And um, and a, and a fear of not living up to what you've been taught as what a man should be or should do. That kind of varies a bit uh, within our group, at least. I've noticed culturally how it's varied because we really have every culture in our group. And um, but the stories are phenomenal. And I could just there's one. I remember one email I got, and uh, so I, I didn't know who he was in the group, but he's in the anonymous group. So I don't know what his code name is, but he sent me an email, and he says, "Tuan, if it wasn't for this group." I think I would have gone down to the grave with some of these thoughts. And then he wrote dot, dot, dot. Actually, some of these thoughts would have taken me to the grave. And this is what really happens to men is like they hang on to these very debilitating thoughts and it takes their life, whether in the form of cancer, heart disease, you know, stroke, suicide, like that's what happens, right? And so it's it's just been so incredible for for someone like him to share these these thoughts with me, right? And it, there's also some exciting stuff mm-hmm. too, where they become a dad for the first time, and they're like, "All right, I'm nervous as heck. Like, what do I do?" You know, I remember one guy wrote, "I just accomplished this. Excited? Yes. Nervous? Hell yes!" Right? So it's also a place for someone who who has a leadership and influential image or brand, and they don't want to be vulnerable. So they come in here and they relieve their armor. And they're like, okay, I run a company of like a thousand people, and this is just happening, and I have no idea what I'm doing. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. I've said it. I feel good. And they're gone, right? So it's not just- This is like the best therapy session (laughs) ever for so many people. (laughs) But it it, it became your therapy, right? I mean, you are- you're single at this point. Mm-hmm. You're depressed. You're trying to find your real self. Exactly. You're learning about your self-care. So this group is now a large group, but how did it go from you to two and then from two into three? Like Because as this is growing, it seems like everything else is growing with you. Great, great question. And um, first thing, it was not intentional, right? So I, I think I've been, it's been very serendipitous for me since the beginning. Uh, and would you, uh, do you consider the beginning like the start, the end of depression? Like where, where is ground zero for you? Like where is the beginning? The beginning was the moment I said to my son, "I'm not giving up on you or on me ever again." That was ground zero for me, right? And. Um, and they call me the Asian Forrest Gump. Back in the day when Forrest Gump just came out, it's like, dude, how'd you meet this guy? I'm like, I have no fucking clue, guy. It just happened. Right? You, like, you are. Oh, my God. You are so – that's like the best analogy anyone – like, that's it. Whoever came up with that was brilliant. You are like, yes. Yeah, so Asian was, Forrest Gump. Like, you're like an Asian Forrest Gump. Random shit happens to you. Oh, my like, God. I know. It so does. Right? So. Absolutely. And, but, but, but you – like in watching the movie, there's always an explanation as to how it actually happened, yeah, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like a series of random yeah. vi- random events that somehow make sense, right? Like it's interconnected somehow and only God or the universe or whatever you believe in yeah. knows, right? Like, I don't know, freak, I have no idea. But uh, so I, I went through like a divorce session uh, over at the, the Separation Divorce Resource Center, Diane Valiquette. And she was a big, big, pivotal uh point for me like person that kind of shifted my life a little bit and uh, so you know at this point it's not to save the marriage it's to how to how to how to rebuild how to rebuild she has something called the rebuild workshop Mm -hmm. and uh i mean i'm like i don't get anything from it but Mm -hmm. it changed my life 
And but what's incredible about that was there were men in this group, right? And and it ended after twelve weeks, and most men try to go on with the second session because they have nowhere to go. Women typically don't renew because they have their own groups and stuff like that, and they have their they own have little, their girlfriends, the girlfriends and stuff, you know. And so, but the guys they kind of have nowhere to go, and. Um, and I was in front of uh, Loblaws one day, and uh, I'm sharing my journey on Facebook just on my own. Like, just I figure if it helps me, it might help one other person, right? And I'm coming out, and I bump into one of the guys in the group, and uh, he's like, "You look like you're doing so awesome on Facebook. I'm watching you, and I love what you're posting." I'm like, "Thanks, dude. That's great." We talked for about an hour there, and then and then I had to go. He had to go, and uh, he sends me an email. He said that was one of the most incredible empowering conversations I've ever had. Do you mind if we meet every now and then? I said, dude, we can meet next week. Second cup, let's do it. And then he brings like two, three other guys. I'm like, all right, okay, that's cool. I, I, they were all from the, the course, so we chatted. And then, then two weeks later, it grew. And then it grew to about 32 men. And some of them that not, weren't even from that group. So I, I got to know a bunch of new guys. How are these men hearing about it? And what Just are they What are they thinking they're going to when they're going to second cup for a cup of coffee with a whole bunch of guys? Uh, so, I mean, I, I wish I had my, my email to show you. But yeah. one of the guys I remember wrote, uh, uh, Tuan, here's my buddy. Uh, he'd like to join us next week. And he says, uh, you know, friend, right? I won't say their names, but friend. Tuan runs this badass group of dads that we just talk shit out and somehow we feel like a million dollars afterwards. I still remember that's what he wrote, right? And I'm like, all right, I guess that's what, I guess that's what we do. What I, I, I had no idea. We just meet up, right? I never even thought about describing what we did, right? And then uh, where it really changed was there was a gentleman here who had a brother in Germany. And he says, yo, man, my brother wants to like jump on this, but the problem is he's in Germany and it's German time. But he's messed up and uh, he's a lawyer and uh, he'd love to jump on this somehow. So I said, well, why don't we just host a call online? Let's try this thing called Google Hangouts. I use it all the time, but I've never thought about using it for this group. So then our first online meeting was on Google Hangout and it was 10 p.m. our time. It was 6 p.m. his time. And so I'll use his name because he's kind of public about it. His name's Chris. He's out in Germany. And I see him in his PJs and he's like sitting and it's dark and he's clearly tired because he woke up early just for the call. And the call it's was- 6 a.m. for him. It's 4 a.m. for four, him. Okay, okay. 10 p.m. our time. Yeah. And it was, I think it was 4 or, yeah, okay. I think it was 4 p.m. his time. 4 or 5, I don't remember. But it's like really early basically, right? And at the end of the call, I guess he got dressed, went to work, and he sends me this email. He said- Dude, man, I just love how you you facilitate the conversation. You do more for me than my my psychologist, or my this, my therapist. You know, I'd pay you in a heartbeat if I could have, I have more access to you. I'm like, yeah, hey, whatever. I'm just a I'm just a regular dude, no training whatsoever. Like, don't call me psychologist or relationship therapist. And he said, there's like ten guys I know in here in my city that are they would need this. And I said to him, dude, if you get all 10 people, I'll change the time just for you guys. I'll just a call just for German guys. So then uh, I don't remember the exact time. I think it was like in October. So January 15th, the following year, I hosted my first call with a bunch of Germans and then a few guys from Italy too, because they had friends over there. So now we're like 13 people in Europe. And that's like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. They're like, oh, this is great. Thank you so much. And we, we have a topic all of these when we talk about. Okay, let me ask you. All right. So you're it's not like you're going in for this free-for-all. 
I mean, yeah. it's. I think it started like that. Yeah, those yeah. coffees at Second Cup started as a free for all. But when you when you have these scheduled calls, is it what kind of topics are you thinking of, or so what are they looking for? They they just they just basically email me a bunch of topics because I didn't start a Facebook group or anything. It's, it's literally all through email and then a Google Doc. So they just then it became a Google Doc where they would just enter the questions because it allowed them to be anonymous too, which is why it was powerful. They. Turn off the cameras. I didn't see any of them, but I trust that you invite real legit men into the conversation. Like I wouldn't know if it was a woman behind uh, or not, right? Uh, but they were all real legit men because you hear their voice. You just don't see them on camera. And uh, they would submit questions. So from sex to relationships to managing people to how do I handle having been a faithful or or having a, a wife cheat on him like both sides right or having kids addicted to drugs like that happens to uh, one of the recent one was uh, a man had a 70 year old who's had sex over 250 sexual engagements and she's also addicted to alcohol and drugs and at 17 like he had no idea what to, to to do so we brought in like a psychologist in and it was all anonymous and things like that right and so so this is how the calls would go okay it's just, you and, but you just mentioned that like sometimes you realize when you see the types of questions that are coming in that you need a an, specialist you need a specialist yeah right because right off the bat it was listen you you brought people together mm -hmm. but there's times when you need someone with a I'm not saying a higher pay grade you know but yeah, like yeah, yeah. that has the experience and the know-how and the knowledge to be able to access assess my look at my language <laughs> uh and understand the topic exactly so I, I i would bring in specialists depending on the situation and uh, this went on for like literally like another three four months and it grew and and basically my email list which wasn't a formal email list software. I just held an email list on my own. It grew to about 350 men on my email list where I would blast and I would say, okay, guys, here's like this date for this meeting. If you want to like meet up, just here you go, just dial in and, and we could have our conversation, right? And how it led to biz dads, because I really just want to help men, but really boys, so they could have the right um, tools to be men. And, and understand that they don't have to be this toxic masculine dude from back in the day, right? And so what was what was really cool was um, was the only people that were able to adjust with me were entrepreneurs. Because I didn't really mean to just focus on business fathers. But like, yo, I'm free 11 o'clock today and now I'm free 3 p.m. tomorrow. Like, I just times all over the place, right? And eventually the 9 to 5 just start falling off and... And then it was just entrepreneur dads. And I realized that my my tribe, my community that, that I resonate the most with are men who have a business, who struggle running a business, but also have a desire to be better at home in every way and better with themselves, right? And so that's where it's grown till today. And I remember that May, one of the guys said, you got to make this something official. You got to give this tribe a name because I didn't even have a name for it. And uh, my nickname is the Gangster Buddha because I grew up like in the streets, but I'm spiritual. So I'm like the Gangster Buddha. Yeah. And I say, yo, what about Gangster Buddha? And then there's a guy in London. He's like, hey, well, you know, I'm not, I don't really resonate with the word gangster. You know, I'm like, oh, great. So like, what am I going to use next? So I, I listed like I had Dude Buddha, Dad Buddha, all these other different names. And I thought they would pick Dad Buddha because we're all dads. And unanimously, everyone chose Dude Buddha. Not one person chose Dad Buddha. Maybe it was maybe peer pressure. Who knows? I have no idea. But it was like a, kind of a vote. And uh, I asked why. I was shocked, actually. 
And they said, you remind us that we're just dudes that play a role of a dad, of a business person, of a husband, even as a man, but we're, we're just dudes, right? So Dude Buddha allows us just to get back to the dude, that's the little boy dude that's inside of us. And dude is fun. And we want to have that fun feel. And then suddenly the tribe became Dude Buddha, like just like that, right? And, um, and then I was featured on a few podcasts and a few different, you know, uh, popular media online that created another viral jump where people contacted me, started following me on Facebook. I don't even know where the word to, I don't even know where to find followers on my Facebook up to maybe like maybe three months ago, but I had no idea. I had like 10,000 followers. I had no idea. Right. I just, I just post stuff out that it's I thought was useful. And you were, so not only did you have these groups coming in where you had these calls, but you were making posts on these face on Facebook and then these Facebook groups kind right. of evolve from there too, right? Yeah. If anyone's wondering how sometimes things just evolve, sometimes they just... They just evolve. They just evolve. I think what's important is you do have an intention of wanting making a difference or doing something with that has a purpose, but just really committing yourself to that and not thinking about too much of what's possible. Like you weren't thinking of the monetary value. There, there wasn't a or, monetary or value. The fame. I don't think, right. Like <laughs> that's not what, the, that wasn't the intention set out. So there was an authentic voice there that, yeah. I, that I think was what resonated most with people. Yeah. And, and even though I come from internet background, it didn't occur to me right away that, oh my goodness, the same hour I spent with the internet, instead of touching these 30, the lives of the 32 men here, I can touch the lives of a thousand men with the same hour. And that's when I, it just dawned on me that, oh my goodness, like I actually don't have to work more to make a bigger difference. I just have to work smarter and leverage the right tools and resources and relationships to, to do that. And so once you kind of have a little bit of a name in a certain space, in my case, biz dadhood, that's, that's what I call it at least, I you get invited to join other daddy groups. And so now I'm part of other daddy groups and other dads are part of my group. And we share each other's messages and we share, share each other's movements. And what I noticed that kind of like my little thing that I started before everyone else was an anonymous group. And one of my buddy, John Broman, he has something called Front Row Dads. It's, a, it's like a great tribe of dads. And he says, man, you landed on that anonymous genius, right? Because he knows that even though we have a tribe of dads, of men who are willing to be vulnerable still, like these men are being pretty vulnerable about their insecurities. Even with full anonymity, right? The, the, well, as in before the anonymity, even just, in right. a, but now with the anonymity, it's like next level, right? Next level expression, unfiltered, like to the nines, right? That's what I meant. Yeah. They were honest in people knowing who they were to a yeah. certain degree. And yes. that degree was pretty intense. Yes, exactly. But that it could go to yet another level. Yeah, yeah. And that other level could be offensive to people, right? Because I want people to just say exactly what's on their mind. So guys like, you know what, fuck, like this and that and shit and man, this part. And they just, they just let it out. And they said, and this is what I need to overcome. I, I don't like the way I think. I don't like this feeling that I have. It's killing me on the inside. But these are my exact thoughts about this person, about this situation, and it is like unfiltered, right? I mean, one guy, if, may I share, or I don't know how far we can go here. Sure. Uh, I'll, uh, just, I'll just go beep. Yeah, yeah, beep. yeah. Yeah, there won't be a lot of swearing, but it's just what they're sharing. Like the, So one man says, I'm 47. I've lost my libido. I've even had to go through these Asian massage places, try different girls, cost me a lot of money. Nothing worked. I cannot get my little guy up, right? Or he says, can't get, you know. Yeah. Uh, my wife knows all about this. She wants her sex life to come back. It's not coming back. 
Then I was totally depressed on it. So I was put on antidepressants, but because of my antidepressants, I couldn't get it up even more. So then he, he prescribed me Viagra. And now my antidepressants and Viagra, I've been messed up ever since. I don't know what to do. And then, and then he goes on and on and on like that, right? But just the way he shared it with the words, he would have never said this in even a men's group that are full of men who are vulnerable. And he said it. He said, I've already expressed a version of this, but this is where I'm going to go all out. And this is what he expressed, right? And he goes, my wife isn't happy. I'm unhappy. My kids are seeing it from both of us. We're arguing lots. I can't, I can't focus at work. I can't land. He's a sales guy, like a big shot sales guy. I can't land my big deals anymore, blah, blah, blah. And just goes on and on and on. He describes the domino effect of it, right? And then funny enough, all these men within the group, all these code names, because they're all anonymous, they start saying, oh, my goodness, this is exactly what I went through. And this is what I had to do. It's going to take a year, but you got to get off the drugs, you got to get to better nutrition, do this, do this, do this. And, and, and here are my advisors. Uh, call them if you want. My coaches, this, 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 and whatever. So it's incredible to see how they express their true pain or their true nervousness and their true fears. Do you think men are able to do it to the same level as, as women? Do you think they're able to take it? Because as women, I find that we can, if you're in the right group where you have the right, you know, trust with people, you can feel that you can express it. But so have I can, you, do you feel that men are, are um, equally capable or even more? I, th so? I think so. I think so. What's incredible now is what women are facing. And women, I think, are getting it almost worse than men because women have fought so hard to be in a leadership role that men have always had a thick armor to not show that. But women from my counterpart women groups are sharing that if men have literally a five-inch thick armor to not let people know what they're really feeling inside, the women's are double, if not triple, the mm -hmm. armor to, to, to maintain the strength in their leadership position as a business owner, as an executive. So there are, they are struggling as well to open up. They're trying to find a space to open up, but they've also realized they are women of influence, of stature, and their dialogue is that they can't open up. Otherwise, they'll lose the confidence of their team, their community, their family. And so I am in the midst of showing my, my process to six women groups who represent over 500,000 women. And uh, they want to implement a similar program for their women leaders. So there are women who are running similar groups to you for women. Correct. Who are now looking at what you have created with the men. What, what If people are looking for this so that as sometimes they're listening, what are they searching for? What are they, what are they Googling? What are they looking up on Facebook? So I find most people discovered by a problem. And when they Google a problem they're dealing with, let's say, how do I deal with, uh, you know, infidelity or, uh, you know, um, impotence or, or something at work even, they come across a blog, a podcast, a YouTube video that leads to someone they suddenly start trusting as a source for information. And then they dive deeper and they find someone like me. Right? They find someone like John Broman. They find someone like some of these amazing women I've been able to connect with. right? And uh, also with the internet, things do start going viral. And so uh, that helps as well. Social media virality helps. Um, but most people either Google or they just go online and typically... Are they Googling your name? Like 
My name's being Googled often, but I don't know if they're searching for me since. Are they? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're like a John Smith with yeah. the Tuan Nguyen. Yeah. I, I get that. But, but if they Google like Biz Dad, if they Google they wouldn't Buddha, Google. They wouldn't Google what, Biz Dad. They would, what are they Googling? They would Google something like, so like the last Google that found me was more uh, looking for ways to be a better dad, right? Or some people Google, how is fatherhood leadership? Right? How do I find leadership within fatherhood? How does fatherhood influence leadership? They're also proactively interested in this as well. Mm -hmm. right? And so I, I, I've stolen this from my buddy Devin Bandison. He's in New York. But he his podcast is Fatherhood is Leadership. And uh, we're buddies. We're part of the same tribe. Uh, but I say it all the time. Fatherhood is leadership. And it was mentioned in one of my interviews. And it was it was in the description. And so they discovered me through my interview on someone else's podcast. And then they looked into me and they said, wow, I'm an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. Uh, looks like we vibe in the same way. He's from Pakistan, I think. Uh, and, uh, and so he has this immigrant story too. And uh, so he said, that's how I discovered you. Because I often ask, how, how on earth do you discover me? I'm in little Ottawa. Right. But <laughs> it, that's what I'm saying, right, is that people are finding you. Uh, and so how are they actually getting to you? I think because you had mentioned this, right, that there was this appeal for the entrepreneurs because you were like, okay, let's meet up at 11 or let's meet up at 3, which mm. you weren't going to get the 9 to 5s who were sitting at the office. What has been interesting in your development of this entrepreneur and father and wanting to be because your son is such an integral part of this story is you have shifted the work week mm -hmm. back, yeah. almost backwards like most people are just like I've got to put these hours in and then hope for this amount of money you yeah. you have a love it one day I will eventually figure out how to use it but you have a different way of looking at it yeah so I guess uh, the, that part of the story we could dive in now which was um when I spoke to a bunch of dads, and I always ask, what's your epic failure? What's your biggest regret? What's one thing you would not want me to repeat that you've done? And a lot of them would say, you know, I could have, I could have spent more time with my family, but uh, I would say just five more minutes, and I am there for an hour. And I realized that- Oh, my God, you're going to kill me right now. I do this all the time. <laughs> just give me five more minutes. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, uh, but it's and an hour later when you're getting It's an hour the later. And, oh, then, and then what happens is you, um, you don't set clear boundaries for yourself, right? And so I learned from my fellow biz dads, the sturdier guys, instead of the older guys, we like to say the sturdier. I took this from Lawrence Greenspawn, actually. <laughs> We're sturdier men. We're not older men. Um, but, um, uh, you know, he- it was important to set the boundaries. And that's what I learned. Another thing I learned, which was... Um, uh, okay, okay, stop. <laughs> stop, please. Uh, because these are such critical parts to this yeah. learning. Is You set boundaries. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, because you're constantly feeling... And maybe it's just because I'm now in this environment, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas in entrepreneurial thinking, like... I do miss, like, I hated my hours. My gosh, I hated my hours. But at least when the hours were done, they were done. Mm -hmm. Like, I went home and I had, I was done work. As an entrepreneur, you're you're never done. Mm -hmm. You're never shutting off. You're always thinking of something else that you haven't done or a call you didn't make or something you didn't send out. So how do you set that boundary when you say to your kids, okay, just I need five more minutes and you still take the hour? Like, right, so, what, do you, what did you do to implement that? So, um... So I'll kind of let's summarize it a bit and include that okay. in the answer. Okay. Um, the other thing I learned was they wish they were more present with their children 
even though they were there. Right? I'm gonna cry. So so we're always on our phones or thinking about like tomorrow's day when your kids in front of us trying to like show you their new drawing or Lego piece or whatever, right? And something they're proud of. And so, um, I'll, I mean, I might share this story later, but there's one story in particular that is about presence, right? So it was being present and setting boundaries. And so I said to myself, how on earth am I going to learn how to do this? Because like it's new territory for me to like just shut down. And so there's a saying, which is you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And so I said to up my average. I said to say, yo, I'm going to find people who are incredible at time management, at setting boundaries. And uh, so John Vroman, the guy I mentioned earlier, he's one of the guys that led me to his tribe where I met some amazing dudes who were able to do it. And these are really busy executives or business owners. And, you know, testimony from the wives saying, yo, when he shuts down, he really does shut down, right? And so it was more like experimenting with different techniques. So what works for me doesn't necessarily work for everyone. But what I would say is that if your intention is to figure it out, is to first thing is not do it by yourself and it's to know that there's other people who have done it. And it's to learn the different tools and strategies and try to implement it. Same thing with now to talk about my calendar. I decided to set the boundaries first for first was myself. When I hit the gym, when, how, when I want to eat and what I want to eat, like just really make sure I take care of myself. How much time do I want to spend with my son, right? And make sure it's in the calendar. And so I put everything that mattered to me and then I work backwards and I said, how much time do I have left to run a business? And the magic number was 26 hours. Right. And I, I also you had 26 hours for the work week, 26 hours, six hours for the work week. But Here's another thing. I also had to change the way uh, I lived, which I was never like luxurious in, in style anyways, but I still I still could have been more um, efficient with the way I live and, and give up some things, right? And so I, I said to myself, all right, what do I really need? So I could just, because what's more value to me is time with my son. That's money can't buy that. So I said, well, if money can't buy that, what can money buy that I really need so I could be there with my son. And I came down with some magic number. I actually don't remember what the number is. And I said, as long as I make that number in 26 hours a week, fucking good. I'm cool in the gang, right? And so I made that money and it wasn't a lot, right? It wasn't like the crazy millions or even hundreds of thousands that people dream about. It was probably about $60,000, right? And that was like the goal, $5,000 a month. And, you know, since I have my own business, I paid less taxes because it's like, 15% small business tax, all the stuff, right? And so I was like, okay, with my leftover money, that could work. And uh, I could rent out rooms in my home, right? Because I had extra room now. So that's another way of figuring out how to like get cash in. But I was able to just maintain the family and be with my son at 26 hours a week. But of course, just like with fundraising, so I leveraged my fundraising days. and Because I, I used to only volunteer 10 or 15 hours a week, for example. And I would say, how much, much more impact can I do for 15 hours a week? How do I learn how to create more impact without having to work more? And that's what Max and especially Dave Reddy really helped me learn how to scale something, right? And so that same mindset happened. I said, okay, now at 26 hours, yeah, I can make 60 grand a year. That's, that's pretty cool. Some people work 40 hours a week and make 60 grand. Okay. But how do I do better? 
And so what did I do? I, I learned from people who scaled their business. I learned their methodologies and I took the ones that made more sense to me. And the ones that made sense to me were the ones that did not lead to even more work. Because sometimes it's kind of like a fake efficiency. It's like, hey, implement this and you'll actually work 10 times more to organize this and manage this one new thing you added. So you end up like working a lot more. So I also experimented over the last, you know, three, four years in terms of different ways to scale a business, whether it be how I manage my time or a different business model that allowed me to make more money with the same hour. And so it was a combination of that, right? And it didn't wasn't a perfect journey to get to where I was. There's some sometimes where I, you know, called some friends said I might be needing a job <laughs> because I don't know if I'll make it, right? But then, you know, I, I still I, I believe that it's possible and I just push through it. And I, I, I opened up to my friends. I said, guys, like, I know I'm almost there. And, and the one night that really changed was I hosted a little dinner with six of my friends. And I said, guys, I need you to just look at my business, look at my life. I'm missing something. I'm in it. I'm in the weeds. I can't even see it anymore. So that one dinner changed my business overnight. This guy, Paul Stevenson, he just says, well, what about this? Like, doesn't this make more sense? And I'm like, holy shit. That's brilliant. That cuts my time in half, but the potential was like 10 times. And so that's what happened is just, you know, because I could spend an entire hours mm-hmm. talking about just business, but the overall strategy to my friends, to all listeners, anytime you want to make a change, it's pretty simple to, in my opinion, is many habits, doing little things at a time and and then finding the right community to help you grow and learn from them and then the last one is accountability is having someone to push you and hold you accountable to certain actions that will lead to that freedom or the goal that you want to achieve right so that's what i i do all the time i just look at what i need to get done and i find the little habits i got to incorporate in my life and then i make sure what i'm surrounded by the right habits? people help me out what are some of those little habits little habits are things like this we talk about shutting down my phone mm-hmm. I get home and my phone is shut. It's on the fireplace. All our phones are there and we don't look at it until maybe sometimes the next morning, right? And But that habit started with just dinner time, right? And then when it's done, I'm with them during dinner and then tutoring, whatever, like homework. And then I could get back on my phone, answer. And then I knew that I had to just build my way towards not being on the phone at all the moment I picked them up. That was like the ultimate goal is to show my kids that I don't need the phone on me because I've managed myself during work hours. So it's done. Right. And part of that is learning the Pareto rule. 20% creates 80% of the result. I know there's a shit ton of stuff I have to get done every day. A lot of people got to get back to, but it's my business and my life. And I know what's going to create the result. So screw with everything else with love. I say that. And I want them to do the same thing to me. If people say I'm not a priority, I'm not part of the 20%. Yo, I respect that. Do what you got to do so you can meet your goals, right? But if we happen to be each other's 20% at the right time, let's freaking do it, right? Let's go. Let's, let's produce results, right? So I learned the mindset of saying if I get this 20% done of this entire endless list that keeps on growing and the endless amount of people I need to stay in touch with, this 20% will move me the furthest and therefore allow me to continually serve the people that matter to me, including the people I haven't called yet, right? Let's say John B., I haven't called him back in like three weeks, but because of what I've chosen to do, it's helped me grow so much 
that by the time I contact John B, I have more value to give to him. I'll catch him up for the fact that I didn't get back to him in two weeks, but he'll be like way ahead because of how I invested in myself first. Right. So this is like the mindset I've learned over the years and helping me decide and making mistakes until I figure out what's the top 20 percent. Right. So these are the little mm-hmm. little things I did towards getting there. And, you know, we are together in a mastermind group and, uh, you know, I'm I'm fortunate to be in this group. I've learned so much from this group, even though it's I lead it. Right. So but I chose the group specifically because they raise me up in many different ways. Right. So, uh, yeah, you talk about this tribe. Right? Yeah. You've had a number of different tribes, but I'm realizing that there's a massive impact to a tribe that, because it's such a new world for me mm-hmm. in all of this. But it's amazing that there are genuinely good people out there that are wanting to help others succeed mm-hmm. and share ideas and share thoughts and. And, and and just listening to you sit there with six buddies and divulge your entire business and go, I'm I'm too thick in the weeds. I can't see it anymore. Yeah. That takes a lot for someone to say, look at it, figure out what's missing, what's yeah. wrong. And what's important was I chose six guys who value what I value, which is they know the driving force was to be more with my family. Because all these six guys are incredible business fathers. And yes, we all struggle every day with something. But we call each other because our ultimate why, why we do this is they're the same. It's the one same reason, which is create as much freedom as possible and leverage as much mutual beneficial relationships as possible so we could be there for our family. It's the ultimate thing versus some people do it just to dominate. I don't call those people, right? What do you think your son would say in all of this? When he gets to be kind of 18 and looking at his life path, um, that this this was a decision that you made when he was incredibly young, sitting up one night yeah. in his crib. I think, uh, I think he'd be like, wow, that's really cool. But, but the way I'm raising him is to even not care too much about what I'm doing. Is like, take what you like and that's all that matters. If there's one thing, that's great. But if you don't care about 99% of stuff I've ever done, even though you're the reason I've done it for, it's okay. It's I don't need to, I don't need you to say, thanks, dad, because of this, I'm an awesome dude. I don't need him to say that. Right. But because of him, I've become a better man. And that's what's important to me is that I've I've built a journey that I'm proud of. Then I could leave any day off this planet and I will go with absolute joy and peace. And feeling complete fulfillment, right? I don't need him to even. I don't even need his acceptance of my work, and I'm I, I'm teaching him that, which is, dude, just do what makes you happy, and find the right tools so that way you can pursue what you dream to pursue. You know, screw what people are saying. Forget about it, right? Including dad, right? I will do my best to protect him from being harmed, but at the end of the day, when he's older and then we're just chatting like you know, dude to dude, be like, yo, man, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to do this. I'm like, fuck, I would never do that. But sure, man, if you want to do it, then you tell me how you're going to make sure you succeed. You tell me, right? And he's like, I'm going to do this, do this, do this, do this. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Good luck, right? But I would listen to podcast episode 419 if I were you, you know? (laughs) And he goes, dad, I listened to it. That's cool. Appreciate, but I'm going to do this thing. I feel this is better for me. I'd be be okay with that. I think... I think you're okay with it because you've done so much for so many people and so many people have been able to take what they've needed from the chats or from the groups or from 
the anonymity, you know, that you've given people an, an outlet. And it's just growing. I yeah. mean, the following and the groups just keep kind of multiplying. And I think you've just really started to see how much this is going to flourish. Yeah. And, and it was never meant to be like this, but that's just the way it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm even holding it down for a bit because I set my boundaries, right? Because <laughs> you've uh, got the 26 uh, yeah, hours exactly. for everyone else. The rest goes to the family. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can. <laughs> and I think what's brilliant is that one of these friends says, you've just got to, you know, you're making more money now yeah in these 26 hours yeah because you've just been smarter about it yeah i feel way wealthier now than ever before and i think wealth is not money related uh and um you know just feeling more fulfilled uh and meeting you know basic needs and then from that point on moving towards something a little bit more meaningful i think it's um it's a journey a lot of people desire um but i think i think um shifting the mindset and shifting how we live our lives and shifting who we hang out with and shifting how we learn and shifting what we learn. Like all this can happen relatively seamlessly uh, if we just start on it, right? And it doesn't have to be like a massive leap. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't jump to where I am today. It's literally been a four-year journey, part-time, five to nine hours a week. You know, I, I didn't mention, but I have a podcast, right? And it's it's called the Awesome Biz Dads Podcast. And that's like two, three, two hours a week I dedicate to, but it's an incredible way to have conversations mm -hmm. with incredible people and learn some of the most impactful lessons that you can share, right? And so I do all this just for fun. One day a week, meet one guy, interview him. Like, yo, that was cool. One day a week or a few hours a week, I just hop on my community and and find an expert to answer their questions. You know, it's literally seven to nine hours a week that I dedicate to this community, and um, and I now know how how possible it is for everyone, right? And and with my son, and this is whoever if you are like whoever's listening, if if you're at especially at a point where you have uncertainty, you know, all I have to say is that everyone who I've spoken to, men or women, who've reached a point of fulfillment, one of the biggest things they had to do is just let go of all these thoughts that's stopping them. Like, just go deep and deep and say, you know what, what else is stopping you? Great, what else is stopping you? And you're gonna find this this one thing that you just gotta let go. And the moment you let go, you've essentially created, giving yourself a blank slate and permission to recreate your life, you know? And I tell people, I, I dreamt to become a, like a professional dancer and be on stage with Michael Jackson. First, he's peacefully passed away, so I can't, pursue that dream anymore but doesn't mean I, I have to stop dreaming right I could dream new things at this age and it's it's still worth it to dream at any age you'd have to go after the same dream from when you were 10 but it's okay to recontinue to dream and paint on a canvas all over again right and then figure out and realize that everything is at your fingertips to figure it out but you just gotta let a whole bunch of things go and this is what I've like really really learned over the years I think a whole bunch of new people are going to be letting go in this uh, group <laughs> chat of yours. Okay, because we run out of time, it's crazy how fast it goes. Oh, eh? my goodness, yes. Wow. Yeah, I know. We're, we're over an hour at this point. Uh, I just want – if is if, I know that you said you could go to Google and you'll you'll mention all these things and eventually the, the funnel will come back to you. But is there a way right now? So the BizDad podcast, one way to check it out. And then yeah. where, where do you want people to reach out to you right now? Uh, you get to go to dudebuddha.com. That's D-U-D-E-B-U-D-D-B-U-D-H. Wait, there's no, <laughs> let me start all over. Okay, because I don't have a keyboard. I'm a keyboard guy. 
So dude, you guys know how to spell dude, but yeah. B-U-D-D-H-A.com. And, you know, you can message me through there or tuanadudebuddha.com. Like, essentially, yeah. you could also email me there. Uh, and then you have some fun. And Gosh, Facebook. Whatever. I know, but on Facebook, like you, you could be just doing whatever and, you know, <laughs> off it. There's a thought process that, yeah. that comes out. There's always something. It's been like a real pleasure. I It's interesting because I had... And I think I, I mentioned this to you because I had interviewed you on this parenting panel, right? <laughs> it's like sometimes how you're introduced to somebody and the first impression or who you think they are, is just not even remotely scratching the surface. And I remember just apologizing to you going, my gosh, Twan, I had no idea, right? I just, I knew you in this form and to just be able to kind of un, like peel off the layers now has just been such a treat for me and I've learned so much. And I'm like committed, like just you even saying like the five more minutes and an hour, an hour later, like, oh, I got, yeah. we all have work. We all have work to do. And um, I hope to like, there's moms that are listening, but I really hope this resonated with so many of the dads out there who think they have to have this persona. And yet thousands of you are dealing with the same shit, same shit, same shit. And this offers you that place to be able to be like, it's okay. We're all, yeah. we're all going through it. But hey, before you end, yeah. I have to say something, which is, yes, so you've interviewed me and barely knew me, but at the same time, I've been interviewed by you and I barely knew you as well. And the last like four or five months to have this opportunity to chill with you and hang more with you, like it's, you're such a gift to the world and I'm really grateful for this podcast and I hope you pursue more of, of sharing your gift with the world. And, you know, and not a purpose plug, but I am also grateful for extension marketing here to give us this space. Like I have to give thanks where where they deserve it. And so much gratitude to the team here because this gave us this space to have this conversation. So truly grateful. Thank you. I always say these Tuesdays for me are like my lifeline, you know, <laughs> that I'm, I'm doing something that I'm really passionate about. Tuan, thank you so much. And then this is your, cause you're teaching me how to kind of be like, you got to build this tribe. You got to build it out. <laughs> so I need people to like and subscribe exactly. and share and let their friends know that this podcast uh, exists uh, and let people know. So living your life with Leanne Lang, you can catch it on all the different ways you can find uh, podcasts on all the platforms. And then of course you can catch us if you want to see what we look like doing all of this on the YouTube channel as well uh, follow Tuan have some fun uh, let people know that his work exists and uh, he's just a fun dude I'm gonna I'm, dude is gonna be in my head all day yeah you know that, right? I love it yeah alright <laughs> that is a wrap on this episode thanks so much for listening to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.